Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery. This is Anne. We have a member of our community on today, but before we get to that, let's talk about this new year. Now, it's been a little while. We're still all, you know, in the midst of um, the COVID crisis, and it's been hard, obviously, and it's not going to get easier anytime soon. Members of Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group, which is our online daily support group, for victims of emotional abuse and psychological abuse and sexual coercion in the context of pornography use and affairs and gaslighting and those types of things, have found that being able to hop on a session is so helpful. You can join on your phone, you can join on an iPad, anything. We do recommend the first time that you join though, you join from a laptop or a desktop because until you're used to it, sometimes it can be a tiny bit tricky the first time. Once you know what you're doing, it's really easy. If that's you, the first time you do it, just try it on a desktop. Make sure that you are logged into the member area, which if you're on a desktop, it's at the top right-hand corner. You need to be logged in in order to be able to get into Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group. That's also where you can change your account information and things like that. We'd love to see you in a group today. We have multiple sessions a day in every single time zone. We just added a few new sessions. So please go to btr.org to join. We know you're anxious to get help. Thank you for those of you who have taken the time to rate this podcast on Apple Podcasts or your other podcasting apps. Every single one of your ratings and reviews helps isolated women find us because they are searching for information online. You know how this goes. We went down perhaps the pornography addiction recovery route where no one mentioned abuse for years, uh, even maybe personality disorder, you know, wherever we go, we went down that for years and all of us who have been through that want to spare women from these wild goose chases. And so every review that you can give it really helps women who are searching for stuff because it's way better that they find betrayal trauma recovery than they find some article about how to improve their sex life or how to improve their communication or something like that, which we've all tried and it took us down the wrong path. Reviews on Apple Podcasts are helpful. If you've purchased Trauma Mama Husband Drama, reviewing it on Amazon, even if they don't buy the book, it helps them find this free podcast. So there are many different ways to help get the word out to help women avoid the years of pain and chaos that we went through. Okay, now for this week's guest. I have Kirsten on the podcast today. I know her personally, and she's amazing. She's a member of our community. She is a divorced mom of four, and she's also an incredible artist and writer who likes to explore being a real human being, breaking through destructive personal and generational patterns, and how handling hard times with humor can make life more palatable. We're going to have her on again in the future with a few other women talking about doing some survivor stand-up a little bit. <laughs> not today, but a different day. Kirsten strives to not take herself too seriously and to help balance out the very serious things she's been through in her life with humor and art and other modes of coping. Kirsten helps advocate for trauma-focused changes in the therapy industry. We're going to talk about a phrase that she invented that she is now going to explain to you. I'm not going to let the cat out of the bag. I'm going to let her set up what this term is, and then we'll have a discussion about it. So can you talk about the background of this term, first of all? So a little bit about my personal backstory. 
I had been about 17 years into my then marriage, and we were about a year into an in-house separation and working on him trying to recover from his sex addiction and me trying to recover from 17 years of long-term premeditated and fairly disturbing mind games and lies and betrayal. We were doing an in-house separation, and he had said that he would do anything to fix the damage that had been happening in our marriage, and I believed him. I wanted to believe him, and one night he came down from his bedroom that he was staying in and asked me when I would drop my boundary of him not being able to initiate any physical touch in our marriage. And I reminded him that he had not followed through with the task that he'd been given by his therapist and by our religious leader, and that my personal therapist had suggested that my, I may even need some really specialized sex therapy to be able to heal, to get back to that point where I'd be comfortable being physically intimate with him. And he asked me how long it would take for me to do this healing. And I said, I don't, I don't know six months, a year? I, I don't know. And he let me know that that was too long, that my boundary was impeding his recovery. And so that's kind of when I knew that that marriage was over. And I'm a pretty visual thinker. I'm an artist. I have a brain full of all kinds of ridiculous cultural references. And when he said that, I could see in my head um, this uh, video and song that came out in the early 90s from this rocker, Meatloaf. He did this ridiculous video called, I Will Do Anything For Love. And I could hear his voice in my head, you know, I can do anything for love, but I won't do that. And I just started laughing and walked out of the room, you know, and I'm sure that it appeared very rude to him, but I just, the ridiculousness of it, you know, 17 years of really awful behavior and damage and he couldn't give me this this one thing that i was asking for for him to do i'm in the btr community and one day we had a member on who was sharing an experience that she'd been through in which her partner was not um, going to do the thing that she had asked him to do to be able to receive healing in their marriage that came back to my head and i said oh he's meatloafing you <laughs> and of course, you know, I often forget that I'm one of the older members of the community, probably have to be over maybe 35 to kind of get that reference right away. But he said, what are you talking about? And I said, I remember that song by Meatloaf. I'll do anything for love, but I won't do that. And that just started a whole entire thread of hilarity where we made up memes about Meatloaf and what he would and wouldn't do. And it was fun and he needed to laugh, quite frankly. Things can get quite heavy in the community at times. Um, but it's a really appropriate term to describe the way that sometimes when addicts try to keep all the things. And why wouldn't they? They have a loving partner and a family. They're taking care of all their stuff. And then on the side, they also have their addictions and whatever life they've built around that. And they'll say anything that they can to be able to try and protect that dual life and that addiction. So you can't really listen to the things they say 
You know, I mean, this meatloaf song is like eight minutes long. It's ridiculous. And he just goes on and on and on about all these things that he'll do for her. He'll go to hell and back. He'll do this. You know, I mean, it's just the, the video is hilarious. And not to mention that, by the way, he's a monster in the video. But when she gives him love, he turns into a man. That's a whole, you know, another. Oh, wow. The Beauty and the Beast scenario. Does it ever say what the thing he won't do is? Well, in actuality, of course, the song doesn't really mean that because what he means is he won't cheat on her. He won't forget her feelings. He'll do all these things. And then she comes in on her verse and she says, are you going to cheat on me? Are you going to hurt my feelings and break my heart? And he's like, I won't do that. So in actuality, the song's not really as bad as it sounds when we made a meme out of it, but. You know, we all have that line in our head from the song, if we're old yeah. enough. I will do anything for love, but I won't do that. A woman in our community, she got her young daughter's ears pierced in, like, January. And in, like, I don't know, four months later or something, she sent her daughter to her ex's house. And they were these really expensive stud earrings. And he lost one of the earrings. And then he wrote this email that was like this five paragraph manifesto about how could they improve communication and uh, what could he do? He would do anything to help out, you know, that kind of a thing. And she wrote back and said, pay $20 for Sophie's earring. (laughs) And he wrote this big rant about how he never consented to her getting her ears pierced and there was no way he was going to pay for the earring. But he never brought that up back in January when she got her ear pierced. So he was like, I will do anything, but there's no way I'll pay $20 for a lost earring. And it's funny the things that they won't do. Yeah, there's no rhyme or reason to it, really. No, well, they won't do what they don't want to do is the thing. Right. You know, when you're speaking about serious breaches in trust and contract of a partnership, which, you know, most of our members are married and their partnership is a marriage. And, you know, the onus of healing the broken trust is on the person that broke the trust. So as the offended partner begins their healing process and they, you know, they start to gather their strength and their dignity back around them and they have a community that builds them up. They learn about boundaries. They start to put those in place. They'll begin to set healing tasks and limits on the allowed behaviors for that offending partner. And this is not an attempt to control the partner. This is their attempt to try and stay in the relationship. Or to establish some safety in the relationship, right? Exactly. I mean, because they've now realized that all these things have gone on. And my first reaction when I found out the true depth of the betrayal that had happened in my marriage was to just leave. I was done right then. But my attempt to stay in the relationship and to be able to feel safe enough to wait to give him some time to, you know, heal and fix his problem was to have boundaries in place. That's the only way I could say I wasn't trying to control him as a person. I just needed that. You know, I needed that for myself. So, you know, oftentimes the offending partner will profess with all kinds of words all the things that they're willing to do, they feel so bad. I'll, fi- I'll do anything I can to fix this. Uh, but when they're actually put to the test by a boundary or a task that's been set by the offended partner, they refuse to engage. They refuse to follow through. And so that just goes to show you that the old adage that you watch their feet, 
and not their mouth is 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 doubly true with somebody who's in their addict brain yeah i like the well i i i would do it if you wouldn't bother me about it you've heard that one before right where they're like i was about to do it but now that you reminded me i wouldn't be doing it on my own so just let me do it in my own time I don't like it when you act like my mom. You're taking my dignity away. Let me do this in my own time. And their own time is never. They're only saying that to just, you know, avoid doing the thing. Why should they get to do anything in their own time? They're the one that broke the contract. They're the one that broke the trust. They really should do anything. I mean, you know, within reason. Most of the women in our community are pretty healthy people. They're not trying to use this as an opportunity to control their spouse or their partner. No, they're, they're looking for safety and they're looking for truth. In your situation, did you ever consider your situation to be abuse while you were kind of in this place of knowing about his compulsive sexual behavior, but thinking maybe he could get into recovery when you're kind of thinking of him as an addict was there ever a time where you were like wait a minute I've been abused this whole time no no it never really crossed my mind see one of the things about my situation is I was married before this marriage very shortly for 18 months and it was a very abusive destructive marriage so to me anything that wasn't that was better and any time I started to feel like something might be wrong or my body was like, oh, I'm uncomfortable. And if I would bring it up to my spouse, he would say, yeah, you're right. Something is wrong. You need to go to therapy because you're broken from your first marriage. And so I became the kind of person that would just completely take all of it in on herself. I was sure that everything that was wrong in our marriage was my fault. It wasn't until I was in my therapeutic disclosure, and this is after having already had, you know, a surprise dump disclosure, I thought I knew everything, but after a therapist had helped lead him through all the things, which, you know, turned in from a five-page thing to a 10-page <laughs> disclosure, when I heard some of the very specific things that he had done that were so twisted, that my brain started to say, wait a minute, only crazy people do this. Like abusive, crazy, like you see in the Lifetime movies kind of people started to open my brain. But it, even then, it still took me a good year, year and a half um, to really accept the fact that I had actually been being, you know, severely abused for many, many years. Why do you think it's so easy? Well, not so easy, but easier for women to recognize abuse when they're in a relationship like your first marriage where the abuse was really obvious compared to how long was your second marriage? Uh, by the time the divorce went through, we'd been married for 20 years. Okay. So compared to the second marriage that was 20 years where the whole time you're in this fog of abuse, but you can't see it and you're trying to wrap your head around what's going on. Why do you think it, it's so difficult for women to see this second type of abuse? Well, I've never considered myself a person that could be abused. I'm not stupid. I'm, I'm not weak. I'm quite sassy and strong-willed. Yeah, I never thought that anything like that could ever happen to me. 
And it was very subtle, very, very subtle and slow building. And not only that, but I was raised in a family and in a religion where I was groomed. Some people don't like that term, but it's true to turn over my knowing and my will to the patriarch of the home, the husband, the leader of our church. That's what a good woman does. And so my natural ability to kind of say, hey, this doesn't feel right, just over the years really got squashed. So, you know, never in my brain until like a therapist or a podcast or something would say, hey, this behavior is abusive, would I ever think, oh, you're right. And, and putting that label on it, which seems extreme to a lot of people and they really kick against it, was enough to clear my brain up from the fog to start to look for more truth. Yeah, you mentioned a lot of people kick against the term abuse, especially within the context of sex addiction. Why do you think so many people are unwilling to say, if you're in an, a relationship with an active sex addict or an active porn user, you are in an abusive relationship. It is an abuse issue. Why do you think so many people don't want to go there? Well, there's a lot of shame around anything that has to do with sex. People don't like to talk about sex. They don't want to be real about sex. And they certainly don't want to talk about anything that has to do with abusive behaviors in sex. And so just the, the level of shame will make it so people don't want to talk about it at all, let alone slap a label of abuse on it. And it's crouched in all this cultural, uh, it's a strong word, but misogyny that a woman should do what her spouse wants her to do. Her needs should be subservient to her spouse's needs. Even things like a woman shouldn't enjoy sex or she shouldn't have to worry about feeling safe because it's just a duty that needs to happen in a marriage. And so with all this cultural baggage and all these things generationally that we're dragging with us as women, it's just something that we wouldn't even consider unless it's, you know, a violent rape, say, you know, but in a marriage context, I mean, we've had women in the community that didn't even realize till they heard somebody else talk about it, that they had actually been raped in their own marriage. And I had that experience. And you just don't understand what's going on. You have no context. You don't have the words for it. You don't have the vocabulary for it. We've not been taught that until you get into the recovery community or into a good betrayal trauma therapist who can teach you the verbiage that you need to be able to start clarifying those things in your head. What helped you realize that you had been raped? And I'm guessing multiple rapes. Well, yeah, multiple times. I didn't understand my body's fight, flight, freeze, or fawn response. I didn't understand the trauma response. So I didn't recognize that those times when I didn't want to be there doing what he wanted, and I would just leave my body so that I could make it through it, that that was something that would be considered a rape. And there was one specific situation that involved a big production that he had put together for an anniversary that he, almost like a, a movie, a play that he wanted me to play out with notes and letters and this big 
thing where I had to go here and do this and then here and do that and, uh, and ended up in a hotel room. And it was a horrendous experience for me. And somebody had mentioned, hey, this thing happened to me. I think I was raped by my husband. And I was like, oh, wait, rape? That's rape? And it just hit me. I was like, that is what I was experiencing that night. I left my body so I didn't have to be there and just let him do what he wanted to do. But I didn't want to be there. I had not given consent for that experience. But I didn't know how to say no. I didn't know I could say no. Yeah, and for someone who thinks they're entitled to sex from their wife because she is an object or she is subservient, then asking for consent is not even on the table either. Right. If you've lived most of your marriage in a place of trauma where you didn't ever speak up and say, hey, I don't like this or no, I'm not doing that. You know, in my case, my then spouse considered that I was into it. You know, he never stopped to question that I might not be enjoy it. And he was so good at building up fantasies in his head that he wouldn't probably have even seen or cared to see that I wasn't really fully giving consent. We have so much that we've learned <laughs> through these experiences and hopefully sharing it can help other women to use their voice. Yes, because sometimes you need to learn that. You think that you know it, but you don't. And when you learn that, you need things to help you be brave. You need a community around you of women who have understood what you've gone through. You don't have to try and explain everything to them because they already know. You need people that you can laugh with. You know, I mean, you can't just go over to your next door neighbor and, and make a joke about marital rape. <laughs> you can't do that. It's totally inappropriate. <laughs> but sometimes we need to laugh. The, the absurdity of our situations will hit us. And it's all you can do. I mean, if you can't laugh, you'll die. So we have to laugh. You know, if you need to be able to have that picture of meatloaf singing in your head while your spouse is trying to give you all the reasons why he can't do this one thing that you've asked him to do to try and fix the damage that he's done, to be able to help you get through that without going crazy, you need that. You know, you need to have the place where you have permission to be able to do that. Well, Kirsten is awesome. We're going to continue the conversation with Kirsten next week. We're going to talk about her art and how she's used art to process her trauma. And if this podcast is helpful to you, please support it. Go to our website, btr.org, scroll down to the bottom and click on support the podcast. And until next week, stay safe out there.